Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, June 20th, 2022. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim gives us the history of Disneyland's House of the Future, which opened in mid-June 1957 and gave us all a glimpse of our automated, plasticized future. Let's get started by bringing in the man who reminds you that the month of May is Procrastination Awareness Month. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Well, Len, I, as I always say, never put off for tomorrow. What can be put off for a week from Tuesday? <laughs> exactly. No need to rush into this. Come on, sit down, have a beverage. <laughs> and we have a special guest on the show today, Christina Harrison, the in-park person at Walt Disney World for Touring Plans. Christy's just back from Alani in Hawaii and is here to share some details on that, as well as what's going on around Walt Disney World. Welcome, Christina. Good Schmerz Day. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad, glad you're here. All right, before we get started, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Ant Fernandez12, A Steven2, and Comp Edwards, and longtime subscribers Torin and Heather, John Malone, and Jenny H., whose husband Eric wishes her a happy 17th anniversary. Jim, these are the folks trying to make World Showcase Dining more authentic. In this case, by using France's national treasure, its mimes, as waitstaff in the Chefs de France restaurant. They say that testing is going way better than expected, in part because most of us never want to talk to a, another human being ever. And they say that one downside is the mime's gestures for, would you like another baguette, is very similar to their signal for, there's a distinct lack of berets at this table. Which, to be fair, is somewhat confusing, so they're working on alternatives. True story. I've actually experienced this, Lennon. There was this time in Chef de France where couldn't get any additional butter because my waiter was trapped in an invisible box. <laughs> I was trying to work the invisible box angle in, and I couldn't figure it out. Okay. It just didn't flow. <laughs> There was a Jerry Lewis thing in there too. Uh, Laurel suggested uh, labor actions or smoking uh, smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. There's a there was there's a lot of workshopping going on for that one. Glad to to go for the low hanging fruit. <laughs> All right, let's do the news, folks. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, every show should begin with a round of self-congratulations. On the April 25th show, we mentioned that Maitre d' Israel had left Citrico's to begin the reopening process for Victorian Alberts, and that we were on a roughly 60-day timeline for that. This week, Disney announced that V&A will reopen to the public on July 28th, which is, all right, 94 days, not 60. But looking at it in Tron years, <laughs> Jim, which are basically dog years at this point, we were spot on. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> do you have your monocle ready exactly i'm ready to i'm ready oh yeah no i have uh i have a, a tuxedo appointment ready for this when it happens me too so ready assuming we can get uh, reservations we'll see also jim uh finding nemo the big blue and beyond opened uh this week we're recording this on thursday opened monday june 13th at the animal kingdom but it looks like jim it's uh struggling to get people to some of its shows our friends over at blog mickey mm -hmm. are reporting that the first and last shows were canceled on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, and we hear it was due to poor attendance. So those shows were scheduled for 10.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. Those got canceled. The 11.30, 12.30, and 2.30 shows were still performed. Jim, it could be that the early show just isn't a priority given all the other stuff you can do in the park, mm -hmm. and then most people are leaving the Animal Kingdom by 4.30, but what's your take on this? This hadn't been a problem in the past before, right? It was not. Yeah. 
It's in the guides, obviously, right? Yep. Yeah. And normally they have signage out front or... I would assume at this point, the cast itself will be... There's a carnival barker out right. there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This is puzzling. I mean, it's it's a popular IP. It's a wonderful theater. I mean, this was a priority of mine the next time I get back to Animal Kingdom to see what chunks of the earlier show still survive. And Chrissy, you've seen the show, right? Yeah, Gigi and I went this week, and there are people out front. There are big signs. We were able to get Lightning Lane about 60 seconds before the Lightning Lane window closed. and we So, had like, a minute before row. the show? Yeah, we had an entire row to ourselves. It was very what, weird. What um, what show time did you go to? 11.30. Okay. Yeah. So, the second show of the day, and you had an entire show. row to yourself? We did. I kept scooting over. I kept telling her, fill in all available space, move to the end of the row. And it was just us. And there were several rows up front that were two people or three people. Wow. So it really is an attendance issue. It's not, uh, it's not, not, huh. And how was the show? It was so sweet. It was adorable. It was 68 degrees inside cast member totals, but um, it was not full. Huh. Hmm. No idea. Interesting. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. And you're uh, here back to the Animal Kingdom when we're done here, right? Yeah, I'm going to go check it out again. Yeah, check it out. See what happens. Yeah. Thank you. Also, Jim, uh, Adventures by Disney announced a new trip offering. This one is a 24-day, seven-country, around-the-world excursion on a luxury jet with stops in Anaheim, San Francisco, Orlando, Tokyo, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Agra, India, and Cairo, and Paris. Starts at a mere $110,000 double occupancy, or another 11K if you want your own hotel room. Thoughts? <laughs> I just wonder who's handling the messaging at Disney right now. Just think about it. Just yesterday, we saw the Fed announce that they, they were jumping uh, interest rates. Interest rates up by three quarters of a point, yeah. Where gas prices are what they are, and people are, are very concerned about money and inflation and the like. And there's a narrative out there that the Disney parks have gotten that much more expensive to visit and more difficult. And is this really the ideal time to walk out in that window? Hey, you know, fly around the world, you know, uh, with us. And, in a luxury private jet. Yeah. I just don't get why Disney, which was normally so great at promotion has gotten so tone deaf. Yeah, this, this does have a sort of a let them eat cake uh, feel to it, right? I think it landed with a thud as well. Yeah, and it just, well, that was the thing. If you read any of the press coverage, it wasn't, oh, look at this wonderful thing. It was like Disney once again, you know, the whole catering to elites narrative. And it just sounded yeah. like, guys, come on. You know, I, I will say that flying around the world mm -hmm. uh, in business class or first class is on my bucket list. It's literally one of the things that I want to do before I die. But I've looked at it from the perspective of websites like the points guy mm -hmm. who will tell you how to do it using the minimum number of miles mm -hmm. that you can. So like, can you visit every continent maybe except Antarctica, mm -hmm. you know, with spending less than 60,000 miles flying first class around the world? Like that's the sort of challenge that I'm looking at. And 60,000 points is not a lot of points. No. So it's way cheaper than than this, mm -hmm. and I've and I've looked at it. So you know, I'm intrigued by the idea, but I mean, 110k is a down payment on a house. E that's easily, and that's yeah. I, I just want the people on the PR and marketing side at Disney to do a better job 
take the temperature of the room, right? Yeah. Maybe this was something to kick to 2023, or at the very least, yeah. you know, make this a, okay, hey, you're headed out the door, Peter Rice. Well, you, you want to, you know, instead of a fruit basket, take a flight around the world. Yeah, exactly. Could you announce this? Yeah, this would be great. There we go. <laughs> Speaking of uh, kicking the can down the road, Jim, Disney's uh, announced that they're delaying moving Walt Disney Imagineering from California to Florida uh, from next year to the year 2026. Yeah. Your take on this? <laughs> it's been fascinating the number of people who are so anxious to connect this to Ron DeSantis, suggesting that this is what Disney is doing to get back at the governor for supposedly going after Reedy Creek. And there's a lot of other issues in play here. I mean, for starters, the number of Imagineers who initially said no. Right. So they had announced that 2,000 jobs would be Mm -hmm. moving. But the number of Imagineers of those 2,000 who actually accepted it, was it what was, your, what was your take on the number? I've heard as low as 150. Some people said even lower Ooh, than that. Way lower than I heard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I had heard that they were expecting, you know, at the end of the day, six or 700 people to move. Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember, you know, it isn't, I mean, for all the talk of this being Imagineering moving, there were other divisions of the company that were also supposed to head to Lake Nona. Right. But products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing that concerns me most about this is remember the reason they wanted everybody there, you know, or at least a, a good contingent in place by 2023 was Epic Universe, which opens in 2000, right. 2025. Yeah. So the notion, oh, so now again, you know, okay, now we, we, we've extended the window and we're not going to get our operation yeah. open to the year after Epic Universe. Yeah, opens. A wonderful time to actually close the barn door. You know, they'll take, the horse yeah. is now in Nor- Norway. All right. You know, just how exactly are you responding to this brand new theme park, which is going to be built across from the Orange County Convention Center. Yeah. Well, th- so these are. This is my question, right? If if Disney was planning to have a uh, a competitive response in 2025 mm-hmm. to Epic Universe, they would have need to have started in the year 2020, which oh, we know they did easily, not, right? Easily. And we know that from the lack of construction permits mm-hmm. or any sort of visible construction. There's nothing in the pipeline Mm -hmm. after Tron, right? What's the next ride after Tron? Whenever I talk with folks about this, they, you know, well, you know, the D23 Expo is coming up in in September and and I'm sure by then we'll know. We actually have a question on that actually coming up. All right, but let's let's say that that happens though, right? So that's announced in 2022. Mm -hmm. We know Disney's timeline. We're looking at 2026, 2027. If that. Until the early, you know, the beginning of an opening, right? Yeah, that's the other. The other question I have about this mm-hmm. move is, Jim. Some leadership mm-hmm. have already moved to Florida, right? There was the the advanced team who basically said, "I will lead by doing, and I will move out to Florida first, mm-hmm. so my team has somewhere to be and leadership to look, you know, local leadership when they move as well." Mm-hmm. But now the teams aren't moving for four years. Yeah. So Disney's figuratively got its one foot in the canoe and one foot on the dock. And to further muddy the issue here, like Walt Disney Imagineering at Walt Disney World is fully staffed. It had a team in place. It would, you know, the stuff it was doing for the parks with its team. So the folks who moved from California are now, you know, effectively showing up at the, the Florida facility for Imagineering and it's like, so what do you got for me? It's like, well, we barely have yeah. enough work for ourselves. Yeah, there's there there are no projects. Yeah, I mean, there are only so uh, so many people who can work on the uh, the 
Holiday Inn. Yeah. Right, the Polynesian DVC. And so there's this real tension about these guys coming in from California who have to justify their own existence. And it's like the the notion of- Because they're a project-based company, right? That's it, exactly. So it's like now you have these guys who've moved here who have to justify what they're going to do for the next four years who are are competing with the people who are already in the building. The hose has been turned off. You know, there's nothing in the works. And so uh, it's going to get interesting, Len. I, I worry that the folks who've already moved to Florida who, uh, you know, eventually will like, I, well, look, I got to work somewhere. Yep. And again, there's this certain company down the street that's doing a lot of stuff, Len. I mean, just the universal escape rooms that opened just this week. Yeah, there are uh, the number of Imagineers or the number of people in themed entertainment design is, is relatively small, yeah. right? Yeah. And Universal's hired a bunch of them to work on Epic Universe. Mm -hmm. That's a guaranteed job Mm -hmm. through at least 2025, right? If Disney wanted to hire locally, I mean, there's just not that many people that they would hire. So if you're not coming from California and you're not already working for Universal, Mm -hmm. like what population is left? The other thing I would say though, Jim, Mm -hmm. is, and I think this is sort of convenient, is I know that a lot of Imagineers were rightfully hesitant Mm -hmm. to move to Florida because... The, of cultural differences, like California versus versus Florida, but I think the uh, you mentioned uh, interest rates, and I think that's giving Disney a huge out here. Mm-hmm. So I did some calculations. The median home price in Orlando has gone from two hundred eighty thousand to just under three hundred seventy thousand dollars. That's a thirty two percent jump in two years. Oh, that hurts. Thirty year fixed mortgage rates are just under six percent right now, mm-hmm. and they were three point one six two years ago. Mm-hmm. So a mortgage with twenty percent down on an average house in Orlando was. Nine hundred and sixty-four dollars in twenty twenty. It is now one thousand seven hundred and sixty-nine dollars, an increase of eight hundred dollars a month, or eighty-four percent, in two years. All right. So if you're an Imagineer, right, you would look at this and say, you know, okay, even if I agreed to this when you announced it or when it was internally debated, now my housing costs for just a typical home have gone up by $10,000 a year. You have not given me an increase Mm -hmm. in my wages of $10,000 a year, so I'm taking a $10,000 a year pay cut to move somewhere I don't want to go. That is a difficult, difficult sell. Absolutely. And let's not forget to factor in that that this is a kind of tumultuous time at the Walt Disney Company with all sorts of talk about, you know, whether or not Mr. Chapek is actually going to be here in the next year or so. You get a vote of confidence from the board, but yeah. Yeah, but you know, not a particularly full-throated vote of confidence. Yeah, I mean, a vote of confidence would have been we're extending his contract now. Yeah. That would have been a vote of confidence. Yeah, this is more of a, we are still here with him. (laughs) We, he is still the chairman of this company. There we go. All right. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, my guess is this gives Disney a couple of years of breathing room Mm. to, uh, number one, to see who is really going to move. Number two, to uh, hopefully get long-term interest rates or mortgage rates back down a little bit. Mm. Well, here's hoping. Uh, Also, uh, Jim, we were uh, measuring some interesting capacity numbers this week with Christina. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we were initially interested in is how many people can actually get through Guardians of the Galaxy in a given hour? And Chrissy, you were in Epcot uh, a couple of days earlier this week, and you measured uh, kind of the number of people exiting Guardians of the Galaxy, somewhere between 1,700 and 1,900 people per hour. Is that correct? Yep. Hours. Hours. You had me sitting there. And then um, of that, how many people did you actually see throwing up as they left the building? I have to say that was the worst part of any day I've had (laughs) in the last 
three years because I couldn't look away. I had to count them. I had to tick, 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 tick. Several, too many. So too if you counted, uh, you, you you mentioned three to me. People are falling. They're falling. They're getting off, and it's like I I tweeted it at one point. It's like twenty some stairs up, thirty some stairs down. You have to go up to go down. Who thought of that? And then same with the um, the elevator. If you've got like a scooter, you have to go up, and then you have to go across the ramp, then you have to go down. And mm-hmm. people are falling because they're woozy. Yeah, you don't want to. They've just been spun around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there were there were several. Gigi scarred. I made her sit with me. <laughs> <laughs> Those bags are tiny, and I mean, you're in Epcot and you're eating a lot. It's not mm. good. I, and I, it's bad. I don't know if you you saw what Alicia Stella tweeted out yes. just last night. I mean, literally. Oh, that they've moved the uh, trash cans to right okay, outside. Okay, the no, no, I mean, just yeah. uh, to get away. It's like they she, they put. They're now so so. Let's just finish the thought. There are actually garbage cans now immediately after oh, you exit the yes. ride, and it's there so you can throw up into the trash cans. Yeah, I mean, it just. I mean, here's what I don't get. Yep. Right, mm-hmm. I mean, Mission Space has a well-deserved reputation for making people nauseous. Test Track is a high-speed thrill ride. Why would you add another thrill ride that makes people nauseous to that side of the park? Escape from Gringotts has kind of the, the same element, you know, a, a ride vehicle that turns to face the screens and, and that sort of thing. Why is it that we don't hear the same stories about that, about, you know, people being made nauseous or that sort of thing? Is it just that it's a coaster that, that turns? Is that what disorients people? Or what do you think is going on here? I don't know. It's, it is, it is unusual. I mean, I, I've been on Kringets and it, you know, it made me a little uncomfortable, but not the same way that mm-hmm. Guardians did. And I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the timing or the effects mm-hmm. of it, but yeah, it definitely didn't make me, uh, didn't make me as uh, headachey. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I only got queasy in row ten. I've ridden it now what eleven times, and when I'm up front, I don't. But I can't ride like Flight of Passage. I can't. I can do Everest, mm. but I can't do rock and roller coaster. I'm too old. See, for, it's just like, for me, it's Star Tours. Yeah, you can't eat Taco Bell and you can't ride rock and roller coaster. Oh, God. Yeah, I can I can do um, Guardians fine as long as I'm not in the back. Ah, okay. So, put me so both times I've done it, I've been in the back. So maybe that's it. All right, fair. Also, we were over at uh, Magic Kingdom and Chrissy counted the number of guests on Jungle Cruise. And the reason why we wanted to focus on Jungle Cruise, Jim, was because it's one of the most difficult Genie Plus reservations to get, and that makes it one of the most valuable. So uh, when we do our number crunching statistical analysis of which Genie Plus reservations are best for the Magic Kingdom, it typically comes uh, down to uh, you know a handful. Um, Peter Pan, Jungle Cruise, Big Thunder Mountain. Maybe it's a small world depending on you know when and where you visit. But Jungle Cruise is always in that list. So we were trying to figure out what the throughput looks like on Jungle Cruise because the wait times have been really, really long. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Jungle Cruise is averaging between eight and 900 guests per hour. Mm-hmm. Which, Jim, think about how much land Jungle Cruise takes up in Adventureland. Yeah. And you're getting, you're servicing between eight and 900 guests per hour mm-hmm. on that. That doesn't seem like a great use of land. But the thing I think that, that caught my attention when Chrissy mentioned it was that there was an entire boat dedicated to skipper training during the day, like while guests were in the park. And so of the uh, seven boats on the water that were running at the time, one was out uh, for uh, out of commission for guests because there were 
skippers on that. And my, my question was, why would you do that when the park is open? Like, I know you, I know it takes, you know, time or whatever to bring, to bring the, the attraction up. And let's say, you know, you're, you know, you're getting ready for a 9am opening and I'm just making a hypothetical here. So, you know, you got to start the boats running at eight. Why not start the boats running at seven to have them ready for the day? And then from eight to nine, then train the skippers. Like, why do you have to do it when there are actual guests in the park? I couldn't figure that out. We are a year out from Disney spending big money to update and remove the supposedly things that offended people from Jungle Cruise. You- yeah, I mean, there were offensive things. No, no, yeah, no. But they spent a ton of money, to your point, and a ton of time yeah. upgrading the ride. Yeah, and now we've got seven boats to eight for 800 and 900 guests an hour. It doesn't make any sense. So I was actually trying to figure out what the maximum number of boats can be mm-hmm. on the water in the Jungle Cruise mm-hmm. at once. And interestingly, there's not a single widely accepted number. So like Wikipedia, and I know it's Wikipedia, mm-hmm. says nine max in Walt Disney World. Okay. And I heard from former skippers who give a number either seven, nine, or 10. Mm-hmm. Our Fred Ted Linhart over at uh, DisneyDocs.net has the actual original operations manual for Jungle Cruise written by Disney. Mm-hmm. And Disney says it's 16 boats with a theoretical hourly capacity of around 2,300 guests per hour. Now, there's zero chance. Mm-hmm that the Jungle Cruise is getting through 2,000 guests an hour. But yeah, I'd like to know why, how the number seven is the number that's being decided on right now. Because if in 1971, you could run 16, mm-hmm. why less than half that now? This is mind-boggling. We are still post-pandemic. Oh yeah, I know there's, there's staffing issues too. We heard one of the... Uh, one of the skippers got off the boat and was talking to another skipper and said that they, that skipper had uh, two 12-hour mandatory shifts this week. So that's... Uh, that tells you it's their staffing involved. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that they were training during the day, which again, they shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. but whatever. No. No, no. Okay. Let's hope that radically improves soon. We'll see. All right, Chrissy, good job on the, uh, on the counts. Sure. All right. We, uh, we have a, an interesting survey from Danielle. It's a, uh, it's a Disney survey mm-hmm. for Disney World annual pass holders asking how they like the new passes. <laughs> so here's a, <laughs> I know, you know where I'm going with this, Jim. <laughs> Just putting on my flak jacket. Go ahead, Len. All right, so it opens up with a um, with one of those charts that shows you, you know, four columns, one for each of the passes, the pixie dust, the pirates, the sorcerers, and then the incredible pass, you know, with the benefits in each row. So it just says, you know, remember this is, these are what the annual pass options are. Mm-hmm. Um, the first question is, how would you describe the new annual pass types in comparison to the previous annual pass options? And the options are much better, better, the same, worse, much worse, and I'm not sure. And Danielle picked much worse. Mm-hmm. So the next question is, Is uh, why did you describe the new annual pass uh, types as worse? Mm-hmm. And Danielle uh, uh, helpfully said, uh, they're more expensive with less things included. I have a gold pass with fewer about blackout dates and it includes photo pass for less than the pirates pass. And then the, uh, the next question was, uh, please rate the appeal of the following attributes of the Walt Disney World annual pass program. And the, uh, the ratings are not very appealing, neutral, appealing or extremely appealing uh advanced reservations required i don't know how anyone would say it is appealing to have advanced reservations required um benefits such as parking food and bev discounts merch discounts and so on a monthly payment option uh new pass types that can be customized with add-ons the number of reservation allotments um block out dates and an accessibility calendar or bonus reservations, and the, so the uh, the only things that uh, the only thing that Danielle rated as extremely appealing was the monthly payment option, which I would imagine that a lot of 
pass holders would uh, would would find appealing. Then uh, a bunch of questions around the park reservation system, Jim. So this is where we know sort of what Disney is focusing on. Thinking about the last time you attempted to make a Disney Park Pass reservation, were you able to complete all of your preferred reservations? And the options are, I completed all of the reservations I wanted, I completed most, I completed some, or I completed none of the reservations that I wanted. In this case, Danielle said, I completed none of them. The next question then is, how satisfied are you with the Disney Park Pass reservation system as a whole? Danielle picked somewhat dissatisfied. And then you get asked reasons why. And the choices include the system limits my flexibility in visiting any theme parks. There's not enough theme park availability at any of the parks on the days that I want to visit. I have had issues booking reservations for the length of my trip. I'm not able to hold enough reservations at a given time. I was unable to book a park reservation beyond my current AP expiration date. There's not enough theme park availability at the parks I wish to visit. Searching for available days is too cumbersome. And then other. And for the other, Danielle put, the overall process in the app is not user-friendly at all. And so, Jim, you and I have talked about this offline, but I don't know that we've ever talked about this on the show. We do know that Disney artificially limits the number of park reservations. Even when there's space, they will sometimes say that a park is full simply as a an inducement to you to go for you to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, All right. And that's sort of like the big the big secret, mm-hmm. right? Is that parks can have availability, but the reservation system is mainly run for Disney to allocate guests somewhat evenly or whatever distribution they want mm-hmm. among the four parks, right? That's sort of like the uh, the unsaid mm-hmm. the unsaid secret. Yeah. 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 And you know, and, and and I get it. I, I get it from a, a staffing position. Likewise, you know, I mean, you, you, you want your restaurants, you want your shops at, at the underutilized parks to, to do well as well. But it just so much of what Disney is doing these days at the parks has little or nothing to do with guest satisfaction. It's all about making these places easier to operate. And yeah. I just, I, again, that concerns me. I mean, that's short-term thinking on that you know i get that helps this quarter but long term when people go home and talk about you know their disney world vacation experience you know who's going home and evangelizing about the park yeah no one's going home and saying oh my god the park pass system you've got to try it like literally no one is saying that yeah 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 if it the best thing is is that it like people will say it wasn't too bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) not not the sort of word of mouth yeah yeah that that's you know in the book of compliments right alongside you don't sweat much for a fat guy (laughs) for a kleptomaniac doesn't steal as much as you there we go all right jim let's do some listener questions uh this one's from veronica Mm -hmm. he says uh i'd consider myself a fairly reasonable disney fan i don't mind genie plus i just wish it was free and work like the old paper fast pass system you can't get your first one until you're in the park, then use whatever the paper FastPass rules were. Uh, disclaimer, I only took one trip with FastPass Plus, so most of my trips were in the paper era. I hate park reservations, and I hate not being able to park hop until two. Mm-hmm. I have two trips planned with different family members, and then I think I'm done unless things change. I don't want to plan my entire vacation around park reservations. I just don't. I like the ability to wake up and go, you know, you know what? I'd really like to go to the Animal Kingdom today. Do you think the park reservation system will be around? <sighs> yes yeah. I think so yeah. Veronica yeah. you know again I think Jim and I have just said mm-hmm. it's not really for the benefit of guests mm-hmm. it's mainly for park ops people and they're getting a ton out of it so they're looking at it and saying 
the money that we're making off of this or the money that we're saving on labor mm-hmm. makes up for the fact that people are complaining about it. Yeah. And the one little spark of hope here, the fact that the surveys we've seen recently mm-hmm. suggest that at least somebody at Disney is gathering info for a presentation to the effect of it's gotta be, yeah. gotta be, you know, just the effect of guys we're five miles down the wrong road here and people are going home and this is how they're talking about their Disney world vacation. And oh, this yeah. is going to be problematic again in 2025 when Epic universe opens up. So we need to do something. We need to come up with a solution. And, but at the same time, which fire do you put out here, Len? You know, you, yeah. we, we've spoken at length on other shows about how terrible uh, Disney's tech is, you know, how unuser friendly it is. Which heart condition do you work on here I know, first? Yeah. So I had uh, I spoke to somebody earlier this week who had a, a really interesting deep dive into what goes wrong with Disney's website mm-hmm. with with certain errors, and it's it's kind of astounding at how it's basically a bunch of independent groups mm-hmm. who don't talk to each other, adding things like cookies to your browser experience, but then not understanding the impact of what other people are doing, so that. Ultimately, what happens is is there's so much junk mm-hmm. on your computer being put in by Disney's website that it actually breaks Disney's website. And it's more prevalent for people who frequent Disney's website. So like Chrissy and I, mm-hmm. who are on Disney's website every day, like I basically have to go into in- incognito mode every time I browse mm-hmm. because I'm not going to delete the cookies. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's, that's an issue that they need to fix. But yeah, you're right to your point. All right. Uh, next question from John. Mm-hmm. My daughter and I be going to Anaheim for the D23 Expo in September. I must admit, I don't recall from Expo's past whether stuff was leaked beforehand. Have you guys heard any rumors about new attractions coming? And did you hear stuff coming ahead of previous Expos, or was it all a surprise? I am hearing in July we're going to get some info about the Splash Mountain redo. Yep. Supposedly, one of the, the bigger aspects of this D23 Expo is not only walking out Footage from Tiana, the new uh, limited series that Walt Disney Animation mm-hmm. Studios is doing, of course, based on Princess and the Frog, but also giving folks a taste of what the Splash Mountain Princess and the Frog redo will be like. So uh, that info has begun to leak because I think it, that, but that's more out of a concern to the effect of Disney began seeing stories out there about, you know, uh, they should have announced something by now. So it's like, oh, guys, we need to get ahead of this. We need to. You know, people are filling the information vacuum and in not a good way. You know, we, we, we right. need. Yeah, they need to get ahead of the story. Yeah. But yeah, beyond that, given what the backlash has been for the 50th anniversary and that sort of thing, and, and the parks are are still sort of trying to get their arms around what they're going to announce. And and, and yeah. a lot of this honestly has to deal with Mr. Chapek because it's like, remember the last time around where Bob led his first presentations for the parks and there were a number of things that we had heard were coming that were suddenly dropped from the presentation maybe a day beforehand? Yeah, like the night before. It was like, we're not going to announce that yeah. yet. Yeah. Because I think, and I think one of the ones was the um, the coaster for Dinoland in Animal Kingdom. Like that was yeah. that was supposedly queued up and ready to go, and it didn't get announced. And I wonder if if that's one of the things that we'll hear this year. There seems to be a sense of you know we need to put some good things on the table here that are going to be delivered yeah. in a timely manner because the Tron uh, light cycle narrative is out there, and I think a number of things that. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind uh, already has a, a troubling narrative. And it's just sort of like, this was supposed to be the big ride for Walt Disney World Summer. And the 
the story was supposed to be cool storytelling coaster, not, hey, we had to put the trash can closer to the offload. Because it makes people throw up, yeah. They not the Not the narrative that they, uh, that they wanted. There we go. The other thing I would say is, you know, and I know we, we've talked about downtime in the past, mm. though, but from my perspective, mm. you know, Disney basically needs to build two new headliner rides in each park. Oh, yeah. Just to make up for, um, number one, the lack of uptime mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that the their newer rides are experiencing. Again, rise down two hours a day, Remy an hour a day, stuff like that. They, they need to build two new headliner attractions per park mm-hmm. just to sort of get back to where they were 10 years ago in terms of capacity. I don't think they're going, I don't think they have the stomach to announce that. That would be eight eight new rides over the next, you know, three to five years. Mm-hmm. They just, number they don't have the, the institutional will to do it. But I think that's what they need. You have to find the construction workers to actually do that. And their dance cart is full right now. Yeah. So bad timing all the way around the barn. Exactly. All right, Chrissy, here's a question for you from Christopher, who says, this is probably a good question for Christina. When we were at Walt Disney World in May, our family noticed that the air conditioning in various locations was much warmer than we were used to from previous trips. It led to conversation. <laughs> it led to conversations that maybe the AC was broken in some places, or we speculated it wasn't that hot, so the Floridians didn't need high air conditioning. But since we've returned from our trip, I'm seeing many, many others comment on social media that they noticed the same thing with the air conditioning. Is Disney really trying to save money on AC? The answer is yes. Wow. So what rides this are- This is what, my take. And I have, you know, we've got a couple very close cast member friends, but mm-hmm. it's like menopause going through Spaceship Earth. <laughs> it's a time travel through menopause. It just is. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. Like you used to be able to say, you know, oh, I'm going to go sit in here so I can cool off. Well, no, mm-hmm. it's sort of like somebody that ate an ice cube 20 minutes ago is blowing on you. Like, <gasps> just, it's not. They call it air cooling. Yeah. Nope. Wow. Nope. All right. So maybe they are trying to save money on air conditioning. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Nothing yeah. shocks me anymore. Yep. All right. Fair. All right. Uh, last question from Jeff. who says, uh, I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. We await the reopening of the boat between the Contemporary Wilderness Lodge and Fort Wilderness. Do you think with hoop de doo returning on the 23rd, we'll see that boat route return? It seems like every other boat route has now returned. Yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. Jeff. I think it'll... Uh, come back because Disney wants to get people over to, uh, to hoop you do. And I think that's also one of the reasons why um, we're going to see the return of minivans to uh, Fort Wilderness as well. Makes sense. Chrissy, you're going to hoop you do soon. Right? I am Bethany um, and I are going opening night, the first show, Bethany Benton and I four o'clock having our four o'clock chicken, <laughs> four o'clock barbecue. Yep, I got to send Jim right. pictures of the ribs. I forgot. Oh, oh, that sounds delightful. All right, and Chrissy, while we've uh, got you here, you were recently in Alani. I was. In Hawaii. Thank you for, thank you for suffering. Um, I appreciate it. How, how was your trip? Okay, and I want to exaggerate. I know I'm prone to drama, but it was the single best thing that we've ever done as a family. Like, Eon, <laughs> my husband, he works super hard because... I work for you, so I don't make any money, but he makes a lot of money. Exactly, right. He does a really good job. So Mm -hmm. he actually works super hard and doesn't just like go to the coral reef and test cookies. Um, So he took a thousand naps, but it was the best. Like Gigi is half mermaid, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was wonderful for so many reasons. The trip out there was hard. A little bit because mm-hmm. Gigi couldn't fly first class because I wasn't paying for it. <laughs> um, and I and I offered to pay to pay for Gigi's ticket. She can't go by herself, Len. I don't know who's sitting next to her. <sighs> anyway, 
she was fine. She went economy plus and she had snacks and she had the kit you gave her. I did. I did. To be fair, I did provide her with a travel kit for her 10 hour trip. Right. She had a custom, she had a custom made travel kit. And she used her bergamot face spray and stunk up all of it. It's fine. <laughs> now, I will say she was a little bit offended because the snacks came in boxes and there was not a plate in sight, but we'll, therapy will handle that. Okay, okay. so a couple yeah. things, a couple reasons to go. And I know I sound like Disney saying to 25 year olds who, unless you have like generational wealth, you're never going to own a home, why you should spend five grand to take your family to Alani. I understand it's a splurge. Okay. Mm-hmm. However, there you go. Yeah, I mean, you spend that much money going to Disney World and then we raise the air conditioning. So if you're thinking about it, absolutely do it. And here's a couple reasons why. One of the big ones was I did not eat one item with glitter. Like my- <laughs> it was a it was a glitter-free dining experience. Is almost didn't know what to do. But like going wow. from eating, what do you think I consume? Like two, three pounds of glitter a week, roughly, give or take. Oh, yeah, sure. With the iridescent stuff in Walt Disney World. Oh, sure. Yeah. To just eating like the freshest fish and rice and like lovely Portuguese sausage. I'm Mm. sorry. I didn't even know how to act. And that's with eating like six Mickey shave ices a day, you know, with my lychee syrup. I still felt better than an average three days here. It was magnificent. The food is magnificent. The service there, well, okay, I walk around with 5 or $10 out because you should always tip or you Mm -hmm. should not go. It's a service industry. So Mm -hmm. Dion doesn't love that so much about me because he said, you just tipped him. Anyway, it's fine. Um, The service is like olden days at Disney. Like, try to think of a better way to say that. We said we were there to celebrate Father's Day. It was my cheap way of getting out of Father's Day because we were going anyway. Sure. Mm-hmm. Strategic. Right, right. I don't think the word cheap I'm is what you're looking at. Strategic. It's not about the strategery. Okay. Yeah. So I made Dion wear the little button. I'm celebrating Father's Day on his t-shirts, obviously not okay. in his bathing suit. But the cast members went out of their way to recognize that. Like we were given little treats and he, when we went to dinner, he was given like a special dessert. It wasn't the usual like plop of cupcake that she did and i'm I'm sure whatever they gave him was fabulous too it was all wonderful it was where did you go did you go is it was uh oma oma open no that's the only place that's not open yet um but we when we went into one of the merch locations to get the wishables the alani wishables the sweet cast member there's a cast member there that has the best superpower she can feel the bags one time and tell you what's in there so we got all Mm. four off the bat like that's magical you don't have to buy five wow. Um, wow. but she remembered Gigi mm-hmm. and then every time we would pass by her and another gentleman cast member they would make little comments to Gigi oh you know what shave ice did you get today Gigi <laughs> and it's not like we were the only people there mm-hmm. it's packed it yeah, that's a uh, that's a skill though I mean we've talked about Disney cast members before who can recognize people you know weeks or years after they meet them and it's just incredible but it wasn't just one it was like the guy at the shave ice plate place every day was like when we would walk up and we went every day i know Gigi wants mickey ears i already know you want the number two or the number three whatever it was i know Gigi wants her mickey ears it was really sweet it made it very because when the kid's happy 
like at least in our family, it's not when mom is happy. When Gigi's happy, the universe. Yeah, exactly. Is How did right. that change, by the way, generationally? Okay. Yeah, it's weird. Well, that's therapy also. Like <laughs> our, our mousekeeping um, cast member, when she was getting ready to leave our floor, because mm-hmm. we would take naps in the afternoon because the six hour time difference were old, sure. killed us. Um, she would come and tell us, I'm leaving. Is there anything that you need? I'm heading to another floor. Like who does that? It's unreal. So tip very well. Okay. One thing Gigi loved that I never thought that she would, because I've been her stalker since birth mm-hmm. is auntie's beach house. We signed. Oh, her. right. Um, we did the premium activity, the surfs up. I this is the, uh, this is the kids club yeah. right, for when you basically, when you want to drop your kids off. Yeah. Um, and have them do something else. Okay. Okay. So I was hesitant because every time she's been to camp, for example, cheerleading camp, I'm working right there. If, like if there's a Starbucks next door, I'm right there. Sure. Cause I can't leave her cause I'm psycho, but uh, <laughs> it's fine. But I was nervous about this. So of course I asked some of our agents, we have like a couple agents who specialize in Alani. And so I was asking around what to expect and, how do I prepare sure. her for this? What do I tell her? Got some great advice, of course. So we go and I drop her off. It's very, very secure. I was nervous. It was like $68 and you have to buy a special magic band, which you can't bring your own for that, but you can bring your magic band. I was like one of three people. Um, they just reinstituted that. You can bring your magic band and link your... Oh, nice. Yeah. So I didn't even have to bring my key card anywhere. I could oh, fantastic. buy stuff using my Star Cruiser band. Um, but you check her in and she got her little magic band that was olumel you know adorable little turtle and you can return it at the end but there it's very secure it was wonderful and she was so excited at first she was nervous she was so excited to go she made a friend little emma in line so she went on and i just very quickly said are you all allowed to accept tips and the cast member said we accept tips in the form of thanks or something like that so she didn't say no mm-hmm. and i was like i got cocktails to consume so i don't have time for this like <laughs> i want to give you cash are you allowed to take right me? and she said something else similar and i was like got you i'm going to the front desk I go to the front desk. I speak to the wonderful cast member there. And she said, they have to refuse three times. This is like a magic code. They oh. Swear. They have to say no three times and then they're allowed to accept it. What? Oh, okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. P.S. I'll accept it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just tell, on the tell you twice. Right? There we go. Yeah, no. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You want to give me a cookie? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. Yep. So I was like, okay, number one, you need to change that because that is foolish. Okay, number two, how do I get around it? So they got me a leader, like a supervisor, who brought me over, I guess, the magic tipping envelopes. I don't know. Uh Uh-huh. Got them. I took a picture. It's on our highlights. Uh I've also posted it on our page. I got the magical envelopes. And I stuffed cash in each one. Mm-hmm. There were four cast members that I saw. Mm-hmm. Little note of thanks. And when I walked up to pick up Gigi and I did my code word mm-hmm. and all that, again, very locked down, mm-hmm. I handed them the envelopes and there was no refusal. So we got to do better. But they were wonderful. Mm-hmm. 
Gigi had the best time. She was upset that she had to leave. It did soothe her that we had an executive lanai. Wait. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and everything she drank was in a pineapple. You can do that for $9, no matter what you're drinking. Why are we not doing this all the time? Uh, we did. Okay, there you go. Yeah, we did. I will say the drinks are too strong for me. They're like, really? Absolutely, a thousand percent too much alcohol. They're Bethany Vinton level. I'm not qualified. <laughs> I could barely walk after one. Well, I mean, you're on vacation in Hawaii, so. And then it's like less than $2 if you want a double shot of whatever. You make it a double. So, fantastic. We got to see the sea turtles at Alani Cove. Uh, Chris Kidder, who follows you on Twitter. Oh, how was it? Yeah, he's one of the um, he's one of the folks that helped build it. He's a Disney Cav member, um, so he's been to Alani like fifty times. Like he was, I think he was the one that came up with having the animals in the Lazy River. He's genius, wonderful dude. He's constantly somewhere, but he gave me some pretty good advice and mentioned, you know, you have to go out at sunrise. Mm-hmm. And we connected on Instagram or Twitter, and he said you got to go out at sunrise, and you go to the left of Alani Cove, and you be able to see sea yep. turtles. Uh, getting in the water and it was <sighs> majestic mm-hmm. amazing like like something out of a uh, david attenborough film mm. it was but there's a gg in the background <laughs> <laughs> i'm hungry mommy what time is breakfast <laughs> <laughs> it was, fantastic. so, so yeah. you enjoyed it yes we're going back next march wow. really you've already planned it we yep i gotta get with annette she is my travel agent mm-hmm. fabulous net uh, but yes done going Fantastic. You can send Gigi first class. I don't know. I'll uh, start working on that now. It should be all right. Good to hear. What do you have coming up this week in the in the parks? We have a lot going on. Okay, so Animal Kingdom today. I have to count Guardians for you like 10 more times. Hopefully not seeing mm-hmm. you vomit. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Hoop to You coming up. Bethany is in town soon. And then Gigi and Mom and I go on our very first cruise. Gigi and I have never been on a cruise. I've been on the Jungle Ever. Cruise. Hmm. That's a cruise. Yeah, but now we're going to the Bahamas with Carol in one stateroom. And all she cares about is what are the cocktails like and what do they deliver them room service? And (laughs) Carol's our mother for for listeners. uh, What time does that start? And (laughs) can can I get room service 24 hours? Gigi's like, how many Mickey bars can I get? And your mother wants to know about the cocktails. So it's going to be a great time or a miserable time. We shall see. We're going out of Miami and we're going to the Bahamas and Castaway. Are you going on the dream? Yes. Going on the dream. Nice. Very nice cruise. Very excited, very nervous. Should be fun. Yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, you'll have to report back on that too. Mm, definitely. Well, have a great time. Okay, and 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 remember, you know, the, when in doubt, you take the leftover alcohol beverage and and the Mickey bars, and and just have them bring a blender to the room. That that'll make it, you know, exactly. There a little go. bit more pleasant to deal with you know, your mom and your daughter. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I'll I, I'll be sleeping on the. You'll have a lot of videos of me on the balcony. I have a feeling that's going to be my room. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. That'll be a lot of fun. Can't wait. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim gives us the history of Monsanto's Home of the Future, which debuted at Disneyland almost exactly 65 years ago this week. We'll be right back. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. These days you hear a lot of people talking about burnout, which according to the American Psychological Association 
isn't a medical condition per se, but rather physical, emotional, or mental exhaustion accompanied by decreased motivation, lowered performance, and negative attitudes towards oneself and others. Now, most of the time, you hear about burnout being associated with work, but life all by itself can be pretty overwhelming. And any of the roles that we play outside of work, be it parent or caregiver, can leave us feeling burned out. This is why BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that it's okay to make yourself a priority. Which is why if you're feeling burned out, well, maybe it's time you talked with someone about what's causing so much stress in your life. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. BetterHelp Online Therapy is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And did I mention our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish? That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash DisneyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Do you feel like you need a bit more magic in your life? Why not give Storybook Destinations a try? Storybook Destinations is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and all of their counselors who work for this full-service travel agency have received extensive training when it comes to the Disney theme parks, resorts, cruises, vacation packages, and more. These travel professionals have years of experience when it comes to planning customized Disney vacations, which is why you can always book with confidence when it's the Storybook Destination team that's helping you find the vacation of your dreams. Best of all, they offer their booking and planning services at no cost to you. So if you're once again ready to travel, why not learn more about what Storybook Destination has to offer by visiting their website, www.storybookdestinations.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And we're back. All right, Jim. I have uh, one word for you, and that is plastics. Yes, yes. And that is, in fact, the key word for uh, the Monsanto's House is the Future. So. Kind of a convoluted route for this thing to come into the park blend. First of all, not designed by the Imagineers. The way this came into Disneyland Park, Monsanto, the corporation, this is the mid, uh, early to mid 1950s. And it's the period after World War II where a lot of guys who served did the GI Bill, you know, went to college, mm-hmm. got themselves decent jobs at thriving companies, and then decided to move to the suburbs. So that's how we got, like, for example, in 47, we got Levittown, which by 1953, Len, 70,000 people lived in Levittown, just came up out of the ground. And the problem is we then saw, because so many of these types of communities were being built, we saw a, a shortage of building supplies. And yep. Monsanto looks at this like, ooh, hey, wait a minute. We are looking for, you know, we have our, our plastics division and we are looking for mm-hmm. different ways to expand, you know, people's use of plastics. And the notion of, wow, what if we were to build prefabricated plastic home? Ooh, nice. So th- this actually goes back a ways to post-war 
United States, because remember the California case study homes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. were all around using low cost and new materials Absolutely. to make affordable housing for people, for GIs coming back from the mm-hmm, war. Mm-hmm. So this, this is all definitely part of the uh, overall movement that was going on in architecture after the war. Absolutely. But the folks at Monsanto realized, okay, it's one thing to build one of these uh, with the notion of yeah, build a prototype, but at the same time, we need people to see it. We need people to get enthusiastic about it and in turn to, to, to then talk to their would-be builders to the effect of, hey, have you looked at these prefabricated homes? So it's like, we're going to put the prototype where we can get thousands of people through it a day and then hopefully spur sales of this thing. Which brings us to Walt Disney. And while the Tomorrowland segment of its Disneyland television show is among one of the more popular aspects of this ABC anthology, the Tomorrowland area at Disneyland Park is this kind of hodgepodge of pseudo-futuristic things. I mean, yeah, they have the Flight to the Moon ride, likewise the Space Station X-1 thing, which we covered on Disney Dish over the past year or so. But right next door, there are these shows and attractions that have virtually nothing to do with the future. Uh, walkthroughs like the Dutch Boy Color Gallery, Kaiser's Hall of Aluminum, and you, you and my <laughs> the Hall of Aluminum. The Hall of Aluminum. It's just the funniest name for an attraction. Uh, Len, I would actually say it's, it's number two behind the Crane's Bathroom of the Future and, and probably not the smartest place to use the word number two. No, probably not the best analogy. But we're going to do it. We're doing a band camping We are. We are. We will do it a deep dive on crane's bathroom of the future and again another poor choice of words okay um but anyway back to walt disney and his less than satisfying tomorrowland of 1956 and and you gotta remember monsanto was already sponsoring an attraction at disneyland the hall of chemistry and it's about this time that some in, in, in enterprising executive at Monsanto thinks, wait a minute, Disneyland gets thousands of visitors a day. And if we build a prototype of our prefabricated plastic house there, virtually guaranteed to get plenty of foot traffic. So they reach out to Walt. And <laughs> as the story goes, Len, the executive of Monsanto hadn't even finished their pitch for the project. But Walt says, yes. Not only that, Walt is so enthusiastic about this prefabricated plastic house idea that he's like, look, let's put the house of the future Let's not just build it in Tomorrowland. Let's build it at the entrance of Tomorrowland. So it's it's the first thing people see when they walk up to the side of the park. And to say that this project was fast-tracked, Len, they poured the concrete slab that this 1,280-square-foot house would would built on. You know, I I think the ink hadn't even dried on the agreement. Pour the slab. This thing goes in. If they're on a conference call with Walt, you can hear the uh, cement truck beeping to back up in the background. Yeah. Beep, beep, beep. Hold on one second. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, that, and more to the point, to ensure that virtually every Disneyland guest would tour the House of the Future when they visited the park, this Tomorrowland attraction was heavily hyped as a freebie. By the way, also a freebie was the Hall of Chemistry. And, and Walt also decides to double down on uh, upgrading Disneyland Tomorrowland. So just two days before the House of the Future opens, and that's June 12th, 1957, as you mentioned, 65 years ago, Walt cuts the ribbon on the Viewliner, which is advertised as the train of tomorrow. But let's be honest here, Len, it's a narrow-gauge train that's built with parts of today, as in Bob Gurr basically pulled the drivetrain out of an old Oldsmobile and certain parts out of Jeeps, and it's like, yeah, it's a train of tomorrow, and I hope it runs for most of today. Anyway, Monsanto proudly hypes the fact that 
14 different types of plastic are used in the construction of the House of the Future, which consists of four symmetrical cantilevered wings that then uh, sort of sit high off of the concrete slab that we talked about being poured almost instantaneously. That, That serves as the foundation of the House of the Future. And if you were to talk to the guests who actually toured this Tomorrowland attraction during its 10-year run at the park, what they remember most about the House of the Future is they would have talked about the microwave, which back in the 1950s, this was cutting-edge tech, not the commonplace, what we're all using to heat up the muffins. Also, you know, let's talk about the terrific view from the bedroom, which, you know, you look out the window and there's Sleeping Beauty Castle. And uh, by the way, Len, I, I want to point out, that was the original selling point or one of the key selling points for, for Celebration back in the early 90s. It's like, hey, you're only six miles away from the Magic Kingdom. Oh, yeah. And then if you think about, you know, when they announced the Golden Oak at Walt Disney World Resort. You're right there. Yeah, yeah. you are a mile from the Magic Kingdom. And in this case, yeah. you're 100 feet. All right. You look out the window and it's like. I mean, my, my first apartment in uh, in Celebration, we could see the Magic Kingdom fireworks. Oh, okay. So turned out to be the exact right thing to do for this prefabricated plastic house. First six weeks that this was open at, at Disney Park, then over 435,000 people walked to the house. That's over 10,000 guests a day. Wow. Oh. That's basically uh, Peter Pan. Yeah, no, that, that's, right. that's yeah. it exactly. So, and it has a 10-year run at the park, uh, and in that time, 20 million people tour uh, the, 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 the... Wow. And uh, to Monsanto's credit, three years after it opened, they did go in and redo and retool the attraction. They got a brochure that talks about, you know, you have to see the House of the Future with its new golden glow decor. And it's sort of like, okay, so you rubbed radium on everything? You know, that's, you know what's making it glow? Anyway, 20 million people go through this thing. It is a 10-year run. But unfortunately, Monsanto just doesn't get the response from its prefabricated plastic homes that it thought it would. By the early 1960s, it's abandoned the idea of this basically becoming a division of that corporation. I mean, they'll create individual pieces and parts that home builders can then use, but they're not going to go full bore into this market. Which brings us to what Walt uh, approached Monsanto about the same time and you know, said, hey, look, we're, we're thinking of redoing Disneyland Tomorrowland area. Do you want to stay on as a sponsor of something on this side of the park? And Monsanto's response was, yeah, but we want something new. Pull down the okay. House of the Future and close the Hall of Chemistry. We want an attraction that people can actually ride on this time. So that's what the Imagineers mm. did. They got Monsanto's Hall of Chemistry. They put an Omnimover in there. And that's where we get our adventures through inner space ride. Uh, a classic uh, Disneyland attraction of the 60s. There we go. Uh, on the other hand, yeah. the House of the Future, again, 14 different types of plastic that, frankly, over 10 years. <laughs> Remember the old stories about the contemporary and how they, they slid the prefabricated rooms in and the whole notion was like, oh, at some point in the future, if we want to change out the rooms, we'll just slide them out like a draw. And it's like... That yep. didn't work. Kind of the same thing with the House of the Future. They they had allocated one day for this dismantling. It means a 1,200 square foot, 1,300 square foot house, Jim. It's how long can it possibly take to demo? Two weeks. All right. <laughs> and I heard one of the stories was they brought a wrecking ball. Yep. And because the, because the house was so well constructed, the rep wrecking ball bounced off of it. It did. It did. And likewise. <laughs> like, you, know, you know the guy that's, that's operating the crane mm-hmm. that's swinging the wrecking ball? 
He takes one whack at it. It bounces off the side. You know he's looking down at the construction foreman like, what's step two in this plan? (laughs) Like, okay, what are we we doing here? (laughs) Well, they even made it supposedly after that, they made a run at it with a bulldozer. And the thing is, all that happened when they made a run at it with a bulldozer is the entire building came off the concrete slab. It, it, yeah, but it's still it was still it's still uh, intact. No, that's it exactly. It just Eventually, that they were forced over. You know, they finally gave up and went at the thing with uh, cutting chains and hacksaws, and that was the yeah. only way they got it out of the park. They had to cut it into small chunks. It was it was like trying to. Uh, I heard it was like trying to um, pop a balloon with a ping pong paddle. Oh yeah, it, <laughs> like you just you're not going to do no, it. No, no, no. Mind you, the concrete slab was left in place, and it's still there today. Also, Morgan Bill Evans, whose team did the uh, the landscaping around the house, that survived this whole process. In fact, it then mm. grew up into this lovely a green space that Disneyland decided, well, okay, from this point forward, that's not where the house of the future was. That's the Alpine garden. Cause the thinking was look at this green space, which serves as a lovely frame for the Matterhorn mountain that's right behind it. Oh, there you go. But then come 1996, the Alpine garden becomes King Triton's garden. And this is where a little mermaid meet and greet area is set up. And then in 2008, the Little Mermaid moves out, and this becomes where Tinkerbell starts doing a meet and greet, and this area becomes known as Pixie Hollow. Currently uh, unoccupied, but Len, that concrete slab is still there. By the way, uh, just in closing out here, if you want to learn more about this, Dave Bossert, he's the gentleman who wrote the Cam Weber mid-century furniture design for the Disney Studios, and you and I have talked about his most recent book here on the show, Len, uh, Claude Coates' Disney, Walt Disney's Imagineer, The Making of Disneyland from Toad Hall to Haunted Mansion and Beyond. Dave is writing a brand new book called The House of the Future, Walt Disney, MIT, and Monsanto's Vision of the Future. And this is supposedly coming out in 2023, folks. And by the way, if you Google Dave Bossert and House of the Future, you can pre-order this $60 book for 20% off. Uh, It will be uh, $48. uh, $48. And again, if if, with the story, you know, the two previous books that Dave has done about the Disney parks or any indication this House of the Future book is going to be a must-have. So uh, be sure and and check because again, we just barely scraped the stories here. Also, it's worth noting that in the wonderful world of Mickey Mouse, one of the very first extended shorts that they did were when Mickey, Donald, and Goofy moved into the House of the Future, and that one's definitely worth taking out of the Wait, wh- there's a Mickey Mouse cartoon where they moved into the House of they the Future? Moved into, it, it, not only that, it's Ludwig van Drake who set up the House of the Future. And yes, uh, it's Mickey, Donald, and Goofy in the House of the Future. It, it, it's a seven-minute-long cartoon, well worth seeking out, Len. What's the name of the cartoon? Is this the one where they're um, they're going to the, um, uh, which looks like the World Expo and Goofy goes back in time? No, this, hang on, if you give me. I've, have I not seen this one, Jim? I, I Came out with the first season of when they redid the series of uh, the Mickey Mouse shorts. Yeah, here we go. Uh, it's called The House of Tomorrow. House of Tomorrow. Second episode. I have not seen this second one. Second episode of, of The Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse. Go check it out now. I you will enjoy. So The best thing that's going to happen to me today. I just know it. <laughs> Awesome, Jim. Thanks. All right. So that uh, so Dave Bossert's book is available on uh, Indiegogo. So look yep. it up. It's uh, House of the Future, Walt Disney, MIT, and Monsanto's Vision of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And again, 2023. So. Awesome. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please help support our show and Jim Hill Media 
by subscribing over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. On next week's show, it's the end of the school year, so we'll be looking at Disney's educational entertainment offering, the Disney Institute. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. Chrissy, thanks for coming on. Where can we find you? In the park. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be using a new secret recipe for a Yemenite pepper sauce named Shug as part of his title defense in the always competitive best flank steak category at the giant national capital barbecue battle on Saturday, June 25th, 2022 on Pennsylvania Avenue between third and seventh streets, Northwest in beautiful downtown Washington, DC. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Raider show and tell us what you'd like to hear next for Jim. This is Len. We will see you on the next show.